All right, so Romans 16, the last chapter. Is that? Oh, sorry, I was skipping right over you. Well, I don't think it's worth giving you the paper because you're not going to use it. Alan? Alan? Okay. All right. Okay, so Romans 16. So... Uh, we have obviously gone a long way through the book, and what I'm thinking is uh, we will finish up Romans uh, either tonight. I don't know if we'll get through the whole chapter tonight, or uh, if not tonight, we'll finish it up next week. And then uh, probably here in a couple weeks, we'll do a review like we did for the first half of Romans, the first eight chapters. Uh, we'll do some kind of a review to kind of go through the material, just to kind of remind ourselves of all that God has revealed to us from 9 through 16. And then uh, after that, we'll look at starting that study, uh, One Race, One Blood. And so I'm really excited about that. So uh, probably Sunday, uh, I'll actually be promoting that from the pulpit. And so if you know someone that would be blessed by the study, someone that maybe is a follower of Christ and kind of doesn't know where to turn with all this racial stuff going on, maybe you don't, they're not a believer, but you want to kind of encourage them to look at a different point of view. Um, maybe you yourself are struggling with any of this. Um, from what I've discovered with Answers in Genesis, it is going to be a great study. And so I'm really looking forward to it. So, But we'll let you know more details as we get a little closer as far as book materials and all that kind of stuff. Romans 16. Uh, as we close out this chapter, uh, I just want to ask real quick, as you've read through Romans 16, what, what are your impressions of Romans 16? Like what jumps out to you when you've read through this chapter? What's something that maybe you observe pretty quickly of what's going on here in Romans 16? Okay. Greeting so many people, mentioning a lot of names. Okay. Anything, that's one of the probably more common ones. Does anything else jump out to you in this chapter that you find is kind of, as you've read through here? What do you think most believers do when they get to Romans 16 in their Bible study? Because there's so many names. Skim it. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, they go, oh, I get it. Paul's listing all the people that did a lot of things for Jesus. That's great. And we're into 1 Corinthians, okay? Like we're done, okay? We've moved on. Um, but there are actually some really cool parts of Romans 16. It is, it is a lot like a listing from the Old Testament. It's a lot like a genealogy in the way it reads. But I do believe there's a lot of great content here as well. Uh, in your notes, there's some information here I want to kind of just throw out there. The first thing we want to talk about is the fact that it is a remarkable and unique chapter. Uh, I wanted to share with you directly a quote from Warren Worsby's commentary about chapter 16. Uh, and this is what he says. In it, meaning in 16 of Romans, Paul greeted at least 26 people by name, as well as two unnamed saints. And he also greeted several churches that were meeting in homes. He closed with greetings from nine believers who were with him in Corinth when he wrote the letter. So think about that just real quick. 26 people, at least 26 people by name, 
two unnamed saints. He talked about some of the churches, and then he also closes with greetings from nine other believers who were with him in Corinth. This is an amazing chapter. When you think about all that Romans is, all that Romans contains, uh, this makes it clear that the Apostle Paul understood the value and the need to have relationships with others. He understood that the Christian life is not an isolated life. He had, he, clo- he had many close connections with those he served with, those he led to the Lord, discipled, and even helped in ministry. So think about this. It's not just friends. It's not just acquaintances. Some of these individuals, he actually either led to the Lord or discipled in the Lord and saw mature in the Lord. And now he's able to tell this church at Rome, I want to just greet these individuals. I want to share that these people are greeting you. And so he's kind of sharing all of this with them. It's an amazing kind of reminder of the importance of the relationships we have in Christ. I think it's really, really vital that we understand that we need the body of Christ. We need one another to do what God has called us to do. Uh, Another thing I want to point out before we get into kind of getting through the verses, there's the word that is kind of mentioned here is the word greet. Now, when we see the word greet, and this is in your notes, we think of it just meaning like hello or a greeting. The word itself actually means to pay one one's respect, to give respect to someone or to salute. So the idea when you say salute this person, so-and-so salutes you, it's not the act of saluting, but it's the mindset behind that. It's the idea of showing respect to these individuals. And so Paul holds these people in very high esteem as he honors them, and he's encouraging the church at Rome to do so as well. So let's open up real quick with just the first two verses. Uh, you see here in your notes, Romans uh, 16, verses 1 through 16, uh, we deal with this idea of friends to greet. So we're dealing with friends he's greeting. And he opens up in verses 1 and 2 with somebody named Phoebe. And so Romans 16, 1 and 2, do I have a volunteer that wants to read? Romans 16, 1 and 2. The, the verses are going to get tough quick. So if you want to take an easy one. Okay, Julie. All right. I was just kidding. Go ahead, Julie. 1 and 2. That's great. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people. Okay. So here we see this, this woman named Phoebe. Now, what, in your notes, we kind of unpacked this a little bit here. She's a member of the church at uh, Centria. Now, you might think, where in the world is that? And if I was thinking right, I would have put this up on the screen as a map. But Centria is a seaport of Corinth on the eastern side of the Isthmus. That's sea. Okay, there you go. So when you think about this, this is interesting. So it's an eastern port of Corinth. Now, what do we know about Corinth? Go back all the way back to Corinthian study. Tell me about the city of Corinth. What do we know about it? It was a port city. Okay. What does that mean that it was a port city? A lot of trade, a hub, right? What about the people that were in Corinth? What kind of people were in Corinth? All kinds of people, meaning all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, people group, languages, okay? So this is an interesting point that she's at this church in this area on the eastern part of Corinth, a port city. And so she's interacting with all these people, but she had an even more important role than just being a part of the church there. Phoebe was the one that carried the letter from Corinth to the church at Rome. So let me think about this for just a second. All that Romans is, so let's do a little bit of a review way back to beginning Romans. 
Who were two individuals in church history that were greatly impacted by the book of Romans? Two individuals in church history that were greatly impacted by the book of Romans, specifically in the Reformation. Martin Luther, right, came to know Christ by studying the verse in Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. And who's the other reformer? We talked about him and his brother on Wednesday nights. Yes, right? I believe it was Charles Wesley, if I'm remembering right. So think about this for just a moment. Paul writes this letter, the amazing letter of Romans, which is a letter of doctrine, right? A message of doctrine and truth and all this. Phoebe is the one that carried that letter from Corinth to Rome. And then imagine for just a second, what if she, she didn't do that? What if the letter was never delivered? I mean, just think of the, the impact this book has made throughout church history. And somebody that, for the most part, we know very little about, just some woman at a church, was given the amazing gift of transporting this letter. I mean, could you imagine you're the one carrying the book of Romans to the church at Rome? And you deliver that to the church. And you've been used by God to communicate such great truth. We think of Paul, this great giant, this great missionary who wrote the letter. But we don't think about Phoebe, who actually was the one who communicated this letter to the church. The word servant here uh, in uh, Romans, it's verse 1, 16.1. It uh, says here, which is a servant of the church. Uh, the word servant here in the original is the feminine version of the word deacon. And many call her a deaconess, okay? Now, this isn't an issue because in the early church, we find women serving the sick, assisting young women, and helping the poor. We see women in the early church assisting the sick, serve, I'm sorry, serving the sick, assisting the young women, and helping the poor. So the word servant is the feminine version of the word deacon. And we don't have a problem with that because the word deacon itself means servant, Remember, in the early church and in the New Testament, deacon is not seen as a position of authority in the church. It's seen as a position of service in the church. Now, I would say it's servant leadership, obviously. But we even understand that the New Testament sets up a deacon or a deaconess as somebody who serves. Okay? Now, we have a little review. Going back to... Um, hey, boys. Let's keep it down, okay? Um, when we go back to the beginning of deacons... What was the first kind of use of deacon? What are we, not even the word deacon was used here, but what's one of the first examples of a deacon or someone doing the job of a deacon? Yes, Acts chapter 6, right? Serving the widows. And that's the first time we see that. Then we get, see it later on in the New Testament. We see uh, Timothy talks about this idea, or Paul says to Timothy about the deacon serving and things like that. The idea here is not of, you know, lower status, right? Or someone that's not as good as someone else. It's the idea of a servant, somebody who serves the church. And so she did this apparently very, very well. Uh, the next phrase we see here is in the King James. It talks about this idea of a securer. Okay. I think Julie's translation said something different. How did verse two read towards the end there? She has been, okay. A great help, okay? King James says secure. Uh, another way you could actually literally trans that, translate that is protectress. Protectress, okay? So this is somebody who actually has given protection to the believers, but not just to other believers, but also to Paul. So this is somebody who's given protection to the believers. Now, what could that mean? What do you think that might look like, that she's called a protector 
given a great help, a secure of the believers and of Paul? What, what kind of protection do you think is being referred to here or help? There's really no right or wrong answer. I'm just kind of seeing what you guys think. Cause I was thinking about this. Okay. Okay. So maybe even opening her home or, or getting them in a place where they could be safe and protected from people that might be looking for Paul or other believers to, for whatever reason, to do them harm. Any other thoughts on that? Sandra? Okay. So kind of somebody that just is listening to what's going on around them in the culture and the world, and then taking that information back to Paul or other believers at the church of Corinth. Hey, this is what we're hearing. Just be prepared on this way or be aware of this or that. Why, why might she be available to that kind of information? Where is she again? Where does she live? In a, in a port city near Corinth. All this communication, all this traffic's coming through. She's hearing about all the news of the day, if you will. She's hearing about what's going on in the Roman Empire. She's hearing about all these things. So maybe she's getting the first little bit of a, a whiff of the new laws that are coming down or different persecutions, and she's making the believers aware of this at the Church of Corinth. Could be. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe she just, as her business would, would need her to, she travels around that region. And therefore, she would have a reason to go to Rome apart from just delivering the letter. So, hey, you're going here. Take this with you. Could very well be in her travels of business or needs like that. Absolutely. Great point. Any other thoughts on how she may be a protector, a secure, a help to the believers in Corinth and to Paul himself? Really good answers. Like I said, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. Uh, in my looking at this, I didn't really see it come up. It just said she was a help to them. So I just got me thinking, like, how could she have been a help to them? So give me a little bit more of an idea. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Maybe somebody that had some wealth and some influence, and so therefore she was able to be used by Christ to gain help to the believers in that region, absolutely, through her means that she was blessed with, whether it be her wealth or influence or position, absolutely. Kathy? Okay. Okay, yeah, absolutely. The point is, what kind of woman is this? What do we get from just this little bit we can read about her? Just, just an, or in some ways, just normal woman, Okay. A servant, we know that because it says she served in the church. How does she feel about the other believers in Paul? She loves them and cares for them. Okay. She's, yeah, she's faithful, right? Because she's faithfully serving them. Uh, so, yeah, some great points. Um, what does Paul recommend the church at Rome do when she gets there? What does the church at Rome, what does Paul recommend or encourage the church at Rome to do when she gets there? We see this in verse 2. Assist her. So what does that look like? Whatever she needs, do it. Now, what gives right the, or Paul the right to say that? 
That's not a command, is it? He's saying she's a servant. She's been a help because her testimony is this. Her fruit is this. It only makes sense that you would help her out in whatever she needs. He's not commanding them. He's not using his apostolic authority to say you will do this. That's why I love that he gives us a little bit of background. So when she shows up at the church at Rome, they're going to go, oh, we know your fruit. We know your testimony. As we're looking in this letter, we're going to help you in whatever you need. That may mean lodging. That might mean food, right? That might mean protection for her. She's protected them, so let's protect her, okay? We don't really know what it means exactly, but basically Paul's saying, hey, anything she needs, provide it for her because she's earned it. She's worked hard in what she's done, okay? Uh, The next people uh, we see listed real quick here is in verses 3 and 4. So I can get a volunteer to read verses 3 through 4. Who wants to read those? Going once, going to, oh, Keith, awesome. There you go. Nah, that was great. Okay. I thought it was funny. You almost messed up Christ Jesus, but you saved it. So I was like, that would be kind of hilarious. He was so worried about Aquila and Priscilla, but he almost messed up the name of the Lord, um, which is, happens to be all the time. So when you see this here, it's really interesting. So some reference to this. It's in your notes. Um, you see Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 3. Okay, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. We're going to see them there in that passage. Verses 18 through 19 and verse 26. Okay, so Acts chapter 18, we read about Paul arrives and establishes a certain church. What church does Paul establish in Acts chapter 18? You can go there if you want to kind of review it real quick. But what church does Paul establish in Acts chapter 18? Acts chapter 18, what what church is that? Yes, there you go. Paul establishes the church at Corinth. So we know for a fact Aquila and Priscilla were very important in establishing that church. What do they do for Paul when he shows up to establish the church at Corinth? If you're, if you're in Acts 18, you're going to see a little bit of what they do for him. Okay, there you go. Right. Paul stayed with them. Their profession was the same as Paul's. So Paul, they worked together. Then what happens? We see that, I believe it's Timothy, if I'm remembering right. Timothy shows up. And so Paul leaves the tent making, okay, kind of part-time tent maker, part-time gospel preacher. He leaves the tent making, goes full-time, full bore into preaching and establishing the church of Corinth. So when you see this happening in this passage, Aquila and Priscilla are actually quite important to the establishing of the church of Corinth. Again, why does that matter? Why is it so important that the church of Corinth was established? Because who most likely came to the Lord because of the church at Corinth? Phoebe, who's taking the letter to the church at Rome. Phoebe. So you see how God is interconnecting all of this. None of this is accidental. At the time of writing, Aquila and Priscilla were in Rome and a church met in their home. So remember, Paul spent a lot of time in Corinth At the time that he was writing the book of Romans, it's believed that Aquila and Priscilla were actually in Rome and actually had a church meeting in their house. 
So again, Paul's letting them know, hey, these guys are very important to me. They're, they're, they matter to the church. Uh, we do not have a record in Scripture for us where they risked their lives for Paul. He says that there in verse 4, who have for, and who have for my life laid down their own necks. This doesn't mean that they were martyred because we know at the time of writing they were still alive. So it's not that they were martyred for Paul, but apparently something happened where Paul's life was in danger and Aquila and Priscilla somehow risked their own lives to save him, okay, or at least to alleviate whatever was going on there. So we don't have it recorded in Scripture, but the basic idea is whatever it was, Paul saw as very valuable to, to him, that they, they actually risked their lives for him. So these individuals are extremely important in what God was doing. Uh, the names we wish we knew more about, the next section there in your notes, uh, this is really verses 5 through 16. And so I encourage you to kind of look through there. But we're just going to look at a few of these. Um, and so let's see here. We read verse 5. Um, so these are the names I'm going to just slaughter, just so you know. So verses uh, 6 through, let's see, 6 through 11 and 12 through 16. So if somebody wants to read, you can. If not, I will. But don't be worried about reading a name wrong because I would slaughter it as well. Okay? So uh, 6 through 11, 12 through 16, if somebody would like to read. Okay, Lance, I'll give you 6 through 11 and, uh, and then 12 through 16. Who wants to read that? Renee? Awesome. Okay, go ahead, Lance. <laughs> Okay. I'm going to applaud that. I'm going to applaud that right there. That was, you guys did a great job. That was wonderful. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to let you guys in a little secret. Before I preach, if I have to say a name that I'm not sure to pronounce, I will pull out my Bible app and I will have it read it to me. And I would just listen to it over and over again to try to hear at least one way to pronounce it. And I still usually just blow it. And then I'll pull her aside and say, Hey, how would you say this? Don't tell me, but how would you say this? She would go, okay, I think I got it. And then I would say it. I go, how's that sound? She's like, it's okay. You're almost there. So that was great, guys. Good job. We obviously hear a lot of the, the Grecian influence on the names, right? A lot of that is involved, obviously, in these names. Um, and so here we're going to look at a few people. Um, so the first one here, the first name I want to look at, um, Epinus? No. No. Uh, 
Epinetus. That's how we're going to say that. Okay. So who was the first fruits of the coverts, or converts in Asia? Okay. So when you see that name mentioned there, um, it says here in verse 5, he was one of the first fruits of the uh, church in Asia, the, the converts in Asia. So again, really important he's being listed here. Um, he may have been the household of Stephanus, um, also called the first fruits of Achaia. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 16, 15 talks about that, this idea of these first fruits. Now, what does it mean to be a first fruits? What is a first fruits? It's pretty simple if you think about the wording. Yeah, yeah, the beginning converts. But that's an interesting way of saying it because if I imply first fruits, what am I assuming is next? Second fruits and third, right? It's, it's the beginning of this tree of fruit. And so really, really cool to see how Paul brings that into play. Okay, Andronicus and Juni, Junius, okay? Uh, what are they called of Paul? They're called kinsmen of Paul, okay? The kinsmen of Paul. Now, this may not mean that they were blood relatives per se, uh, it may mean that, or it may mean that they were just merely Jews of the tribe of Benjamin. So these individuals that are called kinsmen, they could be blood relatives. It's possible. Uh, but there's not necessarily, it doesn't mean for sure they are. It may also mean they're just Jews of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, we see this also in the book of Romans when he talks about the Israelites coming to Christ. He talks about my countrymen, my kinsmen, Okay. Um, at one time, it, it appears they had been in prison with Paul. And so, again, Paul was imprisoned, and they may have been cellmates or at least in prison with him. Um, and also note here, when we see this in verse 7, uh, in the King James, they're called apostles. Apostles. Now, that word is interesting, and this should be in your notes. Uh, the word apostle here does not mean they held the same office as Paul but means they were, quote, messengers or sent ones of the Lord. Um, apostle has a narrow definition and a broad definition. Okay. Is it true that the apostles of Christ were messengers of Christ? Yeah. Were they sent of Christ? Yeah. I send you out, right? Go be witnesses. So in that case, they were apostles in that definition, but they were also apostles as in the office, right? The authority. Why is Paul an apostle? Who called Paul into ministry? Christ did, just like he called his other apostles into ministry. And so when he says here, among the apostles, who were of note among the apostles, plural, this is not referring to apostle office. It's referring to a messenger, somebody who is sent out for Christ. Okay? Uh, another name we see here is the name Rufus, which I love because I can say that one. Rufus. Okay, it may be the son of Simon we read of in Mark 15.21. So let's go to Mark 15.21 to see the connection potentially. Um, again, we don't know for sure, but we see a connection here at least in name. So Mark 15, if I can get there. So Mark 15.21. And it says here, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now, this is, we know the story. Jesus is carrying his cross. They grab this guy, Simon. And what's he supposed to do? 
What's Simon's job now? Carry the cross for Christ. Okay? And I've always said this. Can you imagine for just a moment what that would have been like? Like, just let that sink in for a second. You're carrying the cross of Christ. Now, I know we've seen this depicted many different times. I do actually try to imagine, like, the blood of Christ from the crown of thorns on the cross. And now you take that against your skin. And you actually literally have the blood of Christ on you. Like, because you're actually right there with him. Now, he didn't have a choice in the matter. You guys know, maybe have studied culturally. When he was chosen from the crowd, he could not say no. If he said no, he would have died. Okay? They want to get Jesus to the, to the cross to crucify him, to the hill of Calvary. He's not getting there on his own. What does that tell us about the beating he took? Right? If he can't even walk that far, we might say, well, he was God. He was also man, and he was beaten severely. And in his humanity, he was under a great weight. So they grab Simon and say, you're carrying the cross. The reason people think this is a connection is because in Mark, we see these names mentioned. Alexander and Rufus. Whenever the Bible gives us specific names, it usually is for a reason. What do we know about the author of the Gospel of Mark? What's his full name? What do we call him? What his full name is? John Mark. How did John Mark have a connection with Paul? Didn't start off too good, right? John, Mark, and Paul had a common friend. This was John, Mark's cousin, but also Paul's friend. Who is this? Started ministry together. Barnabas. Barnabas and John, Mark are cousins. If you remember, the story goes that they went on a trip, the first trip together. John, Mark bails. Can't take it. Next missionary endeavor, Barnabas says, let's go get John, Mark and bring him with us. Paul says, no, I don't want to. He quit last time. He'll quit again. They split over this division, right? You guys know the story. Barnabas goes with John Mark, okay? I believe it's to Cyprus. Then we see uh, Paul take Silas, and they go on their journey. And so some have said, okay, we know John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, has a connection with Paul. So it could very well be that John Mark mentioning this name, Paul mentioning this name, there's the commonality, why it was mentioned again. Or... It was just two different guys named Rufus, okay? Both could be true. Um, But it is interesting to think that if Simon had this moment and Simon came to the Lord, I mean, as far as Savior, uh, and would have been converted following his cross experience, which, by the way, if you go through something like that, I think you would ask some questions. Who is this Jesus? Who is this man that is drawing all this attention? And so it could be that uh, this Simon, uh, who was the father of Rufus, came to know Christ. His sons come to know Christ. And now Rufus is somehow involved in ministry, serving in the church. And therefore, Paul sees a point of recognizing him. We also see another reference to this in Romans. So go back to Romans 16. Um, it says here in verse 13, uh, Salute or greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Mine. So his mother and mine. This phrase, his mother and mine, does not mean they were related necessarily. This is another reason why people think this could be the same Rufus as we're talking about in Mark. Um, But that Rufus's mother was like a mother to Paul. Was like a mother to Paul. That's what some have suggested this could be referring to. When he says his mother and mine, it's like saying Rufus's mother is such a good influence and a positive influence over me in Christ. It's like she's my own mom. That's kind of what's being talked about here. An example would be uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 30, we see this idea being talked about, not specifically with 
Rufus's mother, but just this idea of a relationship. So is there anybody still in Mark, still in Mark that didn't turn away yet? Mark 1030, if somebody wants to read that, if you're still in Mark. If not, maybe go there. Mark 1030. No, I'll go there. That's fine. So Mark chapter 10, verse 30. Um, it says this. And now in context here, uh, Peter asks a question uh, in verse 28 of Mark chapter 10. Uh, then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, this is verse 30, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So verse 30 is kind of referenced as maybe what Paul is alluding to in Romans 16 when he says his mother and mine. This would be a fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about in Mark 10 where he's saying, hey, listen, Peter actually says to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. That's a pretty bold statement for a guy that's going to deny you three times in one night. And he's basically saying, what do we get out of the deal? But Jesus' response is, if you lose those things for my sake or the gospel's sake, what will Jesus do? I will, I will give you that back a hundredfold. Now, it's a little bit figurative, but basically saying here, if you lose a loved one because of the gospel, and how does that happen? How do I lose a father or a mother because of the gospel? How does somebody lose a parent because of the gospel? I mean, did Jesus ever really say that we would actually lose family members because of the gospel? Don't think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword, a sword of division between brother and sister and mother and father and son and daughter and all these things. He's not saying you can't have unity in the home. You should have a relationship with your parents that is good and healthy, of course. But he's saying when it comes to the matter of the gospel, if your parent doesn't know Christ and you know Christ, there's division. You can love one another, serve, respect, cherish, and honor, all those things. But there's division. And so here in Mark 10, we see, I'm going to give you those relationships. So some have suggested in Romans 16, 13, he's saying, God has given me that relationship with Rufus's mother. She's like my own mother. Now, again, there's other takes on that passage and what people think it's referring to. Um, but I think that's the clearest one to me that I could see that fits in the context of what Paul's saying, this relationship with this individual, that how it could be very important. Which, again, if it is the same Rufus as we see in Mark, um, it could be that connection as well. Then that just brings more weight to that. All right. Um, let's see. Okay, so those are the main names I wanted to point out in Romans 16. Um, we actually are going to put a stop in it right here. Um, but in verses 17 through 20, um, we see this idea of foes to avoid. Foes to avoid. So this is those who are in the church or been connected with the body of Christ that Paul's recommending to avoid them. But real quick, these names in verses really uh, 1 through 16 uh, this listing shows the partners Paul had in ministry and the roles they lived for the kingdom. Phoebe was a protectress, while Priscilla and Aquila were helpers. Mary bestowed much labor. The work of Christ in the world is the work of the church as a whole. I mean, do you think about this? If you look at the one thing here in verse 6 of Romans 16. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. 
That's it. Who bestowed much labor on us. What else? We don't know. But the point is, she served her role that God had called her to. Just like Aquila and Priscilla, all they did was merely say, yeah, Paul, you can stay with us and yeah, we'll give you some work. You can work with us. But God used that to start the foundations of the Corinthian church, which we read those letters today as examples of what to do and not to do in church. The church at Rome was nurtured and encouraged because of somebody from that church, most likely. So when you see this here, they all just did what they were allowed opportunity to do. But we don't always get that, do we? Like, like we don't see the Romans 16 for our lives. This side of heaven, most likely. We don't get the listing of all the people that impacted North Goodland Baptist Church. Right? We don't read about the Joan Aldridge's or the Marie Wilcox's or the uh, Norma Calflesh's who were instrumental in keeping the church open when there was 25, 30 people showing up. You know, it's amazing. I was going through some paperwork trying to find some stuff on our baptismal because we had a little bit of an issue with it. We were trying to get some more information on who installed it, when, and all that. And as I was going through this huge file, I mean, just files upon files of just all these random papers that seems so weird. Like you're like, what is this? What is this? I came across, and it's in our uh, directory from probably 2003. There's a list of all the pastors of North Carolina Baptist Church that have on record. And it was, it's pretty amazing when you think about like the detail that somebody spent to make sure they kept track of that, track of that. And there's names on there from like the early 1900s. I don't know who these people are, right? I don't know anything about them, but it was really cool to see these names listed. And I was thinking about that when I was doing this this week, as I read that a few weeks ago. So when you think about that, the reality is every one of those pastors have an impact on why we're here today. Some of them served for a year, some two years, some 10 years. Pastor Crone served for multiple years. We see all these names, and to us, they're just names on a paper with a date. But it's so much more because to God, it's a Romans 16 listing. It's all these individuals had a small part. Maybe they were only here for six months or a year, but they made an impact for Christ while they were here. Now, were all those pastors, did they do everything they were supposed to do all the time? No. They sinned, they did wrong, they did good, they did right, whatever. But God is still glorified because guess what? He kept his church moving forward. And now we're talking about from old North Goodland to the new building. We would have never been on this property had it not been for those men that sacrificed countless hours in study and prep and preaching God's word so that there was even a church when Pastor Tom showed up in 95 or whatever. So beyond, I, want, I was thinking about that. We don't always realize the list. We don't get how we fit in, but we don't have to. We just do what we're called to do, faithfully being obedient, serving where we have the time and the talent, giving faithfully, and then we leave the rest to God. And, and he will take care of all of that. Because here's the cool thing. Whether it's a Mary who bestowed on us just some, some labor, or whether it's a, a woman named Phoebe that takes the letter of Romans to the church at Rome, God sees all of it as equal service to him. There's no greater or higher or lower. It's all for him and it's all for his glory. And so hopefully I encourage you guys this week as you go into the week to serve him. If nobody else notices, it doesn't really matter because he sees. So you make an impact for Christ and watch him do great things. Let's pray and we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for just the reality that when we serve you faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully, that you, you make note of it, you see it. You are glorified in it because it promotes you and your grace. And so, Father, I pray that we would continue to be servants of Christ, that we would see this listing in Romans 16, not just as a list of names we just read through real quick, 
names we can't barely pronounce or even really understand who these people even are. Some of them we have some information on. Some we don't know anything about other than that just their name is listed here as somebody that did something for you in the ministry connected to the Apostle Paul. But every single name was so important. Every single name made such an impact that you made sure that it was recorded for us. And Lord, we may never know anything about these people before we get to heaven, but I pray we would know this, that they just merely served where they were, faithfully giving up their time, talents, and resources to make a difference for you. And so, Father, help us to learn that lesson tonight, that whatever it looks like and however you're calling us to be faithful and obedient for your glory, because, Lord, I try to imagine if you, uh, if you don't return before then, a hundred years from now, what this church would look like. That there'll be people gathering for worship here, Lord, I pray, in a much larger facility. But there'll be people gathering here today, at that point in time, talking about those believers that were faithful today in 2020. Those believers that were consistent in just serving you. By that point, Lord, most of our names won't be remembered. If they are remembered, they're just a name printed on a piece of paper with a date. But I'm so thankful for the impact that we can make today for not just the church of today, but the future church, the church of tomorrow, the church that will be in 50 years or 75 years or 100 years. And so Lord, help us to think that kind of way, that kind of a mindset. Are we investing in the church of tomorrow right now by serving the church of today? Lord, we love you and we thank you for all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.